Hey, good morning once again, Calvary Church. What a joy it is to be together, to be reminded of the wonderful truths of the gospel, that the tomb is empty. And as a response to the love of Jesus, we just say, we love you back. So welcome to this wonderful Sunday. You got an extra hour to sleep. Unless you have small children, then none of this mattered. <laughs> For those of you that are uh, watching online um, or even in the courtyard, welcome. Do want to remind any of our venues that we are going to be taking communion to continue to remember and remind ourselves of the good news of Jesus. And so uh, if you're here in the room or in the courtyard, make sure you didn't slip by without grabbing an element. You can grab that now or uh, as we move towards communion later in our sermon. If you're at home, um, feel free to grab something that will help you remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, for those of you at home, those, that includes our own senior pastor, Eric Wakeling. And so I want to give you a quick update on Eric. Uh, to use a sports term, we have officially placed him on injured reserve. <laughs> and so uh, it's uh, Aaron Holm, my good friend, colleague Aaron Holm, and, and my uh, opportunity joy to, to share today's uh, message with you. But uh, Eric, we just love you. We continue to uplift you in prayer and just praying for your healing. So uh, the latest on Eric is uh, he had some more x-rays this week. If you didn't hear, he was in a bike accident uh, a week ago Friday. Uh, he broke his collarbone, and they found out this week it was actually in three different places. So a ton of pain that our brother is going through. Uh, the good news is it looks like at this point he doesn't have to have surgery, so he'll be with us uh, sooner than later. And so, again, Eric, we love you. We are with you uh, in this time. Yeah. Hopefully you feel that through the screen, my brother. <laughs> We're going to continue our series today on the things that we value as a church. The hope that is if someone were to parachute into Calvary Church, no context of, of what this place was about, as they talk to us as the body, the family of God here at Calvary, as they began to see what we teach and what we highlight, they would see these values take place or, or bubble up to the surface. And today, we want to highlight this value of health. So in a moment, I'm going to have everybody stand up and we're going to start doing some burpees. You guys ready for this? <laughs> I mean, physical health is an aspect of this. But really, we're talking about spiritual health, the idea that God calls us to walk in, in spiritual health. And there's lots of different ways we can go in our time here today. We could talk about part of being spiritually healthy is to go and, and to heal from past wounds and brokenness. We can talk about being spiritually healthy is being a person of forgiveness and, and reconciliation, we can talk about spiritual health as far as having accountability and community. And those are some aspects that we've talked about even in other places in this value series this fall. But today we want to specifically highlight this idea that to be spiritually healthy, we have to embrace rest. In fact, in our journals, there's a tagline. I like this tagline. It says, rest up or you'll be messed up. <laughs> And it's true, right? If we don't properly rest in Jesus, boy, it's going to cause all kinds of problems in our lives. And so today, let this be a wonderful reminder 
that we as the people of God here at Calvary Church, those who are following Jesus, we need to slow down. And our prayer in presenting this today to us is is not that this is a message filled with guilt or shame, but instead it's a wonderful invitation. For when we rest, we get to experience and relate to our God, the God who goes at a beautiful and wonderful, healthy pace. And so will we slow down to connect with Jesus. Pete Scazzaro has been really a prophetic voice in my life over the last few years, and, and he says it like this. Many of us are overscheduled, tense, addicted to hurry, frantic, preoccupied, fatigued. Uh, we're starved uh, for time. We're cramming as much as possible into our days. Our overproduction is actually counterproduction. Do you feel any of that today? This is an appropriate message as we head into the holiday season. John Mark Comer is a Christian author who has had a lot of traction in the, in the church world in the last couple years, and he wrote this book. Uh, this book is wonderful. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in this book, he says our culture doesn't like to be slow, does it? Slow is bad, fast is good. Think about when you've been at a stoplight and you begin to kind of question, why is it red longer than all the other lights? Have you ever come across that at a four-way intersection? Like, I'm certain that this red light is longer than any red light over all the... How come they've had green for like 18 minutes? Like, what's going on? We live in this culture, slow is bad, fast is good. In fact, I was so moved. I read this book this week, um, and I went and bought nine more copies. (laughs) And they're in the bookstore right now. And so I'm just going to say this today, that that if you need this book like I need this book, uh, the first nine people that go grab one at the bookstore, it's yours for free. Just grab it, okay? Um, Ironically, you have to hurry to get over there (laughs) to to get the book. I just thought of that. <laughs> Let's say the nine slowest people to get over there uh, get that book. <laughs> this is not easy, guys. But it is, it is, there's a spiritual battle going on. One Christian philosopher said it like this, that uh, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil, right? Because in our hurry... We miss God. We miss out on the beauty of this daily rhythm with God. But I feel for us, I'm thinking of like the high schooler at Foothill High School just down the street. Your life is busy. It's hurried. You wake up, you have to be at school by 7.30, maybe even earlier if you have zero period. You go until 3.30 And then you have after-school sports or activities or a job. You stumble home, have dinner, quickly take a shower, and then you have a couple hours of homework, only to repeat it again. And so that pace, that frantic hurry that, that our high schoolers are in, 
That just continues. I, I love high schoolers to tell you like, oh, it gets better in college. <laughs> I remember in college thinking, I can't wait till I get a full-time job so I can just kind of relax. <laughs> and then ironically, my father-in-law is retired now and he's like, I need to go back to work just so I can rest a little bit. <laughs> like retired life is stressful. And so every stage of life, I think we look to the next stage and think it's going to be better. But hurry, busyness, fast-pacedness, it's around every corner. God's ways are different, though. Turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Wonderful reminder in the creation story. Genesis 2, verse 1. I'm reading from the uh, New Living Translation. Genesis 2, verse 1. First couple pages in your Bible. It says this. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. The God of the Bible created this world in six days. And what did he do on the seventh God rested. The Hebrew word that's chosen there means to stop. Simple, right? God stopped. Now, why did God need to rest on the seventh day? It's kind of a mysterious question because God doesn't get depleted like we do. God is never in a hurry or stressed. He's the prince of peace. So why did God rest? I just want to offer a couple ideas. I think, number one, God rested to enjoy the triune Godhead, to enjoy fellowship with himself. He had just created us in his image, and now he stops to delight in the Trinity on day seven. And also, God, I think, is giving us a model, an example. We are made in his image. We are called as men and women, as boys and girls, to reflect our creator. And so if God rests, therefore we should rest. It's part of the equation of spiritual health. God spells it out even more. Turn in your Bibles now to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy 5, just jumping into verse 14. says this, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. So God instructs Moses to give these 10 commandments to, to, hey, here's how you should live, nation of Israel. This is how you'll be set apart from the rest of the world. You'll honor only me, Yahweh. And down the road, you'll, you'll set apart a day of the week to rest. The rest of the world will think you're crazy. Why would you stop for a day? You know how many things you could get done in that day? Maybe Chick-fil-A is right. <laughs> God set apart his people, the nation of Israel, to rest. Now go from Deuteronomy and go in the middle of the Old Testament to the book of Psalms. Psalm 23. Oh, it's so good. Psalm 23, turn there if you can. Many of you committed this ancient psalm 
to memory at some point in your life. And this is what it says in the NLT. A little bit different than maybe you remember memorizing it. Psalm 23 says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. And I'll stop right there. And maybe the version that you memorized, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Does that, does that sound familiar to you? It's another way you can use that Hebrew term there. But it means to rest. It means that this sheep, this, this shepherd was, was lay, laying down his sheep. It, it says that the, the sheep was stretched out, meaning that the sheep had total security. Wasn't worried about any wolves sneaking up on them. The sheep felt protected. It was stretched out. It was lying down. It does so, though, in the other translations. It says, the shepherd made the sheep lie down. How many of you need God, in a sense, to make you rest? It's kind of a scary confession. Because often I wonder if God allows physical things to happen to us just to get us to rest. But here's this beautiful invitation from God. I will lay you down by these green meadows. I'll set you aside against peaceful streams. This is our God, you guys. This is the God of rest. This is his invitation to us. One more passage. Turn to the New Testament book of Matthew. First book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 11. We're going to hear Jesus' very words. Matthew chapter 11. Simply two verses, 28 and 29. This is Jesus talking. This is pre-cross. He's demonstrating how to live. How to live a life in obedience to God. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says this. Then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you what? Rest. I will give you rest. What a beautiful invitation from Jesus. This week uh, at our home, we got a wedding invitation in the mail. Got home from work and, and opened up this invitation. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. We got invited to this wedding. And I yell across. You guys yell across your house to other members of your family. Is that how it works? Uh, and so I yelled uh, down the hallway to Marie. I go, hey, Marie, we just got invited to this wedding. It's so cool. <laughs> she kind of laughed. She's like, well, I hope you got invited. You're officiating the wedding. <laughs> I was like, well, okay. Yeah. But still, I, I, I'm grateful to be invited. This is awesome. <laughs> Here's an invitation from Jesus to you and I. Come to me. If you're weary, if you're burdened, I invite you to come to me and find rest. It, it keeps getting better in this verse. Look at this next line. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I, Jesus, is talking. I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you'll find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. What a wonderful, wonderful invitation. 
What if we are more concerned not about chasing the good life, but about pursuing a good soul? Rest is part of that equation. Rest, not even just taking a nap while watching golf, although that is glorious. (laughs) I'm talking about rest in Jesus. Now, you might think, all right, pastor boy, it's so easy for you to talk about this stuff. We, like, pay you to do this all the time, right, to rest. I want to show you a picture. I did the Instagram this week for Calvary, and um, this was a screenshot that was on our Instagram. And I was scrolling through Calvary's Instagram. I was like, ooh, that's the frozen shot right there. And I don't know if you can tell, but that guy looks tired <laughs> right there. Uh, I don't, and I don't mean to self-indulge myself by showing a photo of myself on the screen, but I, I want to just let you know that pastors are in this with you. We all, all Christians, struggle with this idea of spiritual rest. In fact, I heard a story one time of a wife coming in um, to her husband and saying, time to get up, wake up, it's time for church. He goes, I don't want to go. Come on, we have to go. Let's go. Why why don't you want to go to church? Well, I'll, I'll give you three reasons. Number one, no one likes me there. Number two, I don't like anybody there. Number three, I'm so tired. His wife looks at him and goes, well, I'll give you one reason why you should go. You're the pastor. <laughs> so as pastors, I wish we could say, I wish I could say, model your life after me. But even just true confessions, Eric was scheduled to give this message. And I was really looking forward to sitting in these seats and receiving this because I need this. My wife earlier this week was like, oh, you're talking about this? Well, this should be good. <laughs> just convicted this week that saying yes to more than I can handle pushing past limits it's not good it's not healthy Uh, our overproduction actually leads to counterproduction and so this is for all of us in a moment um, I'm going to invite Aaron Holm to come up and Aaron's had such a an awesome place at this church. She was discipling, leading our high school ministry for, for several years. In the last couple years, she stepped into caring for and shepherding, pastoring college students. She's also been involved in our uh, reach, our outreach, our global missions. And in the last few months, she's taken on this new role. And it's the pastor of spiritual formation here at Calvary. And she spent the last few years in seminary thinking through this question of what does it mean to be spiritually healthy? And so we wanted her to come up and just share a few thoughts with us, some, some practical ways that we can rest. But let's pray as she comes up. Father, I'm in front of the line of saying I need to hear this. God, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, convict and challenge us now to slow down. But may we not just sit in shame and guilt. May we see this as a beautiful invitation. We pray this in Jesus. Amen. Hey, let's welcome Aaron. Good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you. Hey, just for uh, 30 seconds, just close your eyes. Just see what the Lord wants to say to you after Matt just shared all that. Just Take a moment to hear from the Lord. What does he want to say to you about rest?
Amen. All right, that's the spiritual practice for this morning. We are finished. Just kidding. Um, no, before I get into kind of sharing some of these spiritual practices that we can engage in to rest and to hear from the Lord and to be transformed, um, I think it's first important to actually ask the question, how do we actually gauge how spiritually healthy we are? Like, what is this, like, measuring stick that we use to say, okay, I'm doing pretty good, I'm pretty healthy spiritually, or I'm not doing so well spiritually? Because when it comes to our physical health, we, we have a handful of different things that we measure, right? We, we go to the doctor, and they're like, take your blood sample. It's like, your blood's good, sweet. Or uh, you, you check your weight or your blood pressure, and you can kind of see, okay, I'm doing pretty good in this area. Okay, great, but maybe in this area I've got to improve on it a little bit. Maybe I've got to change my diet, work out more, whatever it is. So we have these ways when it comes to our physical health that are pretty like black and white. Like this is really helpful for me to know how healthy I am physically. But spiritually, it could be a little more confusing. How do, am I healthy spiritually? I don't know. I love God. I do. But how is my soul? Where am I spiritually? And I want to suggest two questions that we can ask ourselves. And these aren't the like end-all questions that we answer and we know how healthy we are but I really think they can help us kind of gauge where we are at spiritually. And the first question is this. Is there evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Because if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been given the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And in Galatians, Paul talks about the fact that we have been given the fruit of the Spirit. So is there evidence of them? Maybe there is evidence of some. Maybe you are a very kind person and you have a lot of self-control. But maybe you lack peace, patience, goodness. Maybe you've got to pay attention to what, which fruits are bearing, are being bear, born, bared in my life. English class, didn't take it. Um, <laughs> Made it to seminary, but that's it. Um, the second question is this, and this can be a little complicated, but how loving of a person am I? And how loving am I becoming? And that is one of the fruits of the Spirit as well. We know from 1 John 4, 16, that God is love, which means Jesus is love. And if one of the goals of our formation is to become more like Jesus, to have his character formed in us, then I think we need to consider, am I loving like Jesus? And I think it could be easy to be like, I'm a Christian, I love. <laughs> but I really think even this past year and a half are a testament to maybe how loving we are not sometimes. How loving are you to your family, to your enemies, to your neighbor. And so I think asking ourselves these two questions, and here's the key, honestly answering them is going to help us kind of gauge where are we at spiritually? Honestly answering them. It can be hard to do. But that's maybe when we got to look into what David said and ask the Lord to examine my heart, Lord. Show me any offensive way there is. So again, we are aiming at having the character of Christ formed in us so that in our most ordinary daily lives, his attitude and his temperament are revealed. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? 
if we, even as a church at Calvary, are so formed in Christ, his character is so formed in us, that our temperament, that our characteristics so reveal Christ, when people come in, they sense Jesus is here. God is here. This is a loving church. That would be amazing to be known as a loving church. And this formation is a process. And true maturity, so pursuing true health, is God's doing. God is the main agent of change in our lives. We don't make ourselves change. But that does not mean that we are left with doing nothing at all. In fact, I think one of the biggest fears I have for myself, for the church in general, is that the vice of slothfulness is going to get in the way of our pursuit of Jesus, that we have a lazy pursuit of Jesus, that we aren't being changed. And this is what the spiritual practices do. This is where they come in. I'm just going to read a definition of what a spiritual practice is. And so kind of if you have a journal or paper, maybe just kind of jot down what stands out to you. A spiritual practice is this. It's a repeated activity that involves our whole being. So that is our human spirit, our body, the Holy Spirit, and the doing of which is in our power, which forms a habit over time. And then there's repetition here. That opens our heart to the work of the Holy Spirit who transforms us spiritually. That is, in cooperation with our spirit, he fills us with his presence and by doing so conforms us more and more to the image of Christ. And we do these to create a rhythm of attachment to God, opening our hearts to the love of God and then out of that loving others. Again, spiritual formation, one of the goals is Christ-likeness. Another goal, I would say, is being so enwrapped in God's love that you are fully known, fully seen, and you are so, you've so internalized his love. And that's the goal. We're going to be on this journey for our entire lives. And so what is it to open, to do something about this? So I'm just going to go through a few of the classical um, spiritual practices. Um, A lot of these came from the monastics, some from the early church fathers and mothers, and they've just been proven useful for centuries in the church as tools that we can do to open our hearts to the Lord. And so the first one is this, Lectio Divina, very fancy, Latin, I know, you're welcome. Um, Lectio Divina means divine reading, so it's involving scripture, Um, And it comes from Paul's counsel to us in Colossians 6 where he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Because we even know in Hebrews that the word of God is alive and active still today. It's not just a story we read, but we get to engage in it and let God speak to us through it today. It's not just hearing scripture with our eyes and understanding with our mind, but it's hearing with our ears and understanding with our heart. It's reading for formation, not just information. It's good to know a lot about Scripture. But how cool when we read it in this slow way that we're letting ourselves be impacted by God's Word today. There's four steps to it. Lectio, reading. This involves reading a brief text slowly, and you read it again a couple times until you say, ah, that word or that phrase is kind of popping out to me. It's, a little, it's highlighted to me on the page. The next step is meditio, reflection. You kind of allow that phrase that popped out at you 
to kind of roll around in your mind a little bit, to let it go from your mind to your heart, and to pay attention to feelings that come up. If there's strong feelings that come up, whether it's positive or negative, I really believe that those are signs of a deeper inner movement in your heart. The third step is oratio, respond, where we are open to the spirits moving within us. And then we're speaking freely and honestly to God about what's coming up. Okay, this phrase stood out. God, why is this standing out to me? What do you want to say to me about this? And the last step is resting in it. It's contemplio. It's sitting open to the presence of God. And for some of us, this is going to be a peaceful experience. For some of us, this is going to be a very boring experience. For some, it'll be agitating. We're all, I imagine in a room this size, we're all in different spots right now with our walks with Jesus. But this last step, we gently let go of our thoughts and feelings as we give them to God, resting in him. Next, another practice is silence and solitude. Um, silence and solitude is a moment of intentional time in the quiet to be alone with God, something I don't think many of us practice today. Maybe it's quiet, but maybe we're not intentional with God in the quiet. In silence, we're in a quiet place. We're not speaking in order for our minds and our whole self to be attentive to God. And we're in solitude, alone. We seek space to be alone with God, to be found by him. And we have examples of this in the Gospels. A numerous amount of times. Jesus would, uh, in Mark 1.35, says, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went to an isolated place to pray. Luke 5.16, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Often. Luke 6.12, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. So think about this. Jesus did this. Jesus got away in the quiet to be with the Lord. I'm surprised when I don't think I need that too. Many of our lives are over, like Matt was just saying, we're over busy. We are digitally distracted. We carry little computers in our back pocket. We have access to so much information. And that is maybe not physically loud, but it is internally loud. There's so much noise. And silence and solitude help us make space in our souls and our lives to actually hear from God because God wants to speak to you. He does. God is not silent. God wants to speak to you. Maybe we need to slow down, get away in some sort of silence to hear from him. Even Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and then know that I am God. It affirms that there is this knowing of God, this deep knowing of him, but first we actually have to be still. So practically, this may look like walking on a trail, finding a chair in your house, a place in your backyard, going to the park. And the point is not to try to make something happen, but it's time to stop and to slow down. For me, um, in, in the program I'm in at Talbot, I'm required to do these 48-hour solo retreats. 
silence and solitude for 48 hours, and that's really hard for an extrovert like me. I'm like, I got this for five hours, and I'm like, what do I do? I'll keep praying. And, um, you know, there's been some great things that have happened. Nothing, like, super profound, but I always leave, feel like my soul has rested in God. My to-do list didn't change, but my soul is rested. In fact, about a year ago, I was up in Lake Arrowhead, sitting on a dock, looking at the water, and I, I, was, I was in a really hard season a year ago. And God met me, and I felt like he was just hugging me. And that's all I needed. I just felt so known and seen. I'm like, okay, all I needed was a hug from God. And I was able to rest in him. Who knows what he will do for you when we seek silence and solitude, but I believe he will show up and he will speak to you. The next one is this, and Matt talked about it a little bit. Um, there we go. Uh, Sabbath. This could be like a whole message in itself, honestly. Um, so go read John Mark Comer's book because he says really good stuff. Um, make sure you walk slowly to the bookstore. Um, <laughs> Sabbath comes from the, word, the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to stop. It's a time to stop working, a time to stop being productive, a time to stop worrying. It's a day set aside for rest and worship. It's either a whole day, a whole 24-hour day. That's traditionally what it is, which might seem impossible for us, but maybe a chunk of hours even to set aside to rest in God's love. It's not the same as a day off where you run errands, you shop, you do laundry, you play in your phone, whatever it is you do, but Sabbath is stopping resting, delighting, and worshiping. Things to consider when it comes to Sabbath. It's best observed when it's planned and prepared for, so you're not like, oh, I don't really want to cook because that's like work for me, some people sometimes, but now I've got to go to the store, but you sh I shouldn't go to the store because it's Sabbath. Not to be like legalistic, but you have to prepare for it and plan it. That's when it's best enjoyed. Which day works best for me? For some of you, it might be Sundays. You start the morning, however you like. You come to church, gather as a community, worship the Lord, and then you, you do Sabbath. For, for me, that doesn't work. I, I work on Sundays, so when I do Sabbath, well, it's Fridays for me. My first day off in the week. What is it for you? Maybe think about what could this look like for me and my spouse to do this together? or for me and my family to do together. If you're single, what does it look like to, to spend time with close friends and community as part of it? Maybe 24 hours is too much, like I said, but maybe start, start where you are. Start where you are. Don't, don't jump into 24 hours right away because it'll probably be really hard. Maybe start with four hours, six, and then add on. My temptation, personally, is like, okay, I really want to Sabbath and observe it well, but I'm going to wait till I graduate, and then I'll have more time to Sabbath. But that, like, defeats the purpose, right? And I think we all have our specific temptation, and that's mine. When I graduate, I'll have all the time in the world, but like Matt was saying, it's like, no, like, we can't just keep looking towards the future and say, when that happens, then I'll do this, because we don't know, and our lives are always going to be full. So real quickly, what can you do in your Sabbath? Some things to kind of chew on, think about. I heard someone say this one time, and it really resonated with me. They said, if you work with your mind or your emotions, maybe you Sabbath best um, by doing. For me, like a lot of my job requires my emotions and my mind. And so for me, I like being outside, going on walks. I like 
I'm not good at this, but I like building things, so I do that. Gardening, stuff like that. But if you um, maybe have more of a physical labor's job, maybe you need to rest more with your mind. So maybe you, you need to read a book, read scripture, laugh with friends, etc. Again, some, some simple things. You can enjoy a cup of coffee as you wake up in the morning, maybe journal. You could eat a good meal with your favorite drinks and dessert. You could take a nap. You could practice slowing down. I started just trying to walk slower through my neighborhood and actually noticing more things and being more mindful of God. Maybe there's a psalm you read each Sabbath. Turn off social media. <laughs> but I got to see what everyone's doing. No, you don't. You'll see it tomorrow. It's like the whole uh, algorithm. They got you. Pray. Spend time in prayer. Spend time with your spouse if you're married, with your kids. Again, play. Play. Enjoy God. God. Our God is not boring, by the way. Think of everything he created. Think of how he created you and your interests. Think, how did he make me? Maybe, maybe I want to play an instrument. Maybe I want to play a sport. Maybe I want to have a game night with my family and friends. So consider, how did God make me? What is life giving to me? What connects me to God? For me, one thing that I know connects me to God is sunsets. I love sunsets. Right when I see a sunset, I'm like mindful of God. Nothing, again, super profound, but I'm very mindful of God. So I think for me, finding a way to I can watch a sunset during my Sabbath would help. Again, Sabbath is supposed to be a day of joy and delight, not work. The last one is this. The prayer of examine. This is a prayer that was um, established, built, written by St. Ignatius of Loyola. And it's a way to reflect on our very personal God who is very present with us all day. Again, it's a way of reviewing our day in the presence of God. And it traces back to Psalm 139, where David asked God to search him and know his heart, to test him and know if there's any anxious thoughts in him, to see if there's any offensive way in him, and lead him in the path everlasting. And the goal of doing the prayer of examine is to gradually develop an openness and sensitivity to the promptings and invitations of God throughout your day. It's a helpful way to find God in all things. God is in a lot of things. God is with you all day, speaking with you. You can enjoy him throughout the day. You could do this, um, I do this before I go to bed. As I'm laying in bed, sometimes I drift off to sleep. It's okay. Sometimes I get through it. But I love ending my day with this. And there's five things that we look at. So even just write these down if you want to. First is this, gratitude. Give thanks to God. What happened in your day that you were grateful for? Next one is sin. Ask God to reveal your sin to you. And the focus here is not on the uh, external sin itself, but the root of where, where is the sin coming from? And God, what would it be to have you transform that? God, what do you want to show me? Number three, you examine how you lived this day. Consider your thoughts, your words, your deeds. And this will help you see more where maybe you missed God so that tomorrow you have a better chance of maybe connecting with him and what he's doing in your life. Number four, you ask forgiveness. You express sorrow for your sin while we're calling God's love and grace. This provides time just to soak in God's grace, forgiveness, and love. And the last one is grace. 
You ask God for the grace to amend your ways and more fully live out of a sense of connection with him. It's John 15, 5. God, give me the grace to abide in you. And so when we practice the examine regularly, it begins to kind of generate this internal spiritual sensitivity to the movements of God. I've, since I've been doing it since um, the end of August, I am beginning to see God more throughout my day and remember him more throughout my day. It creates this pattern. And the key here, the key to all these is being totally open and honest with God and yourself. If we aren't honest with ourselves and with God, there's not much room to grow because we aren't being authentic and God only loves an authentic self. He likes who you really are. He loves who you really are. So be honest with him. Be honest with yourself. This, as I close here, um, yeah, again, these are just four of the many spiritual practices out there. You can create your own spiritual practice. How did God make you? How maybe can I connect with God? And these are just four that have stood the test of time, so I encourage you to try them. We're actually going to be sending out all these four in an email this week, so Stay tuned, just you can remember the detail of some things I've shared. And I also want to acknowledge that um, some of us, these are going to be tough for us. I, as I was writing this, I'm thinking of like young moms. They're like, how am I supposed to have silence and solitude? I don't know. I'm not a mom. But I will say, maybe you've got to ask the Lord. God, I'm supposed to take care of my baby, my young kids. My life is crazy. How can I actually have a time of silence and solitude with you? Ask him. He might give you an answer to what you can make into a spiritual practice. And maybe you're in a tough spot with your walk with Jesus. Maybe you haven't felt like he's near and close for a long time. And so these are like, are you kidding me? I have to do something? Maybe it's frustrating. And so maybe you've got to start there. God, I feel this way. I don't want to do any of this, but God, I do love you. Start there and see what happens. But I really want to challenge us as a church to not do nothing. Let's do something. Let's pursue Jesus with an open heart. Right now, we're actually going to spend five minutes practicing Lectio Divina. So if you are outside or if you are um, at home watching, go ahead and turn to Psalm 62. We have five minutes for us, just some light music playing in the background, and we're going to practice this. These are the uh, steps on the side. Just open your heart and just see what God might want to say to you this morning through this psalm. And I'll come back up after. Thank you. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it was for you this morning that maybe stood out from that psalm. For me, it's that pour out your heart to him. Hmm. We have an approachable God. We can pour out our hearts to him, and he listens. He bends down to listen, one of the psalms says. I don't know what it was for you this morning, your experience of that. I encourage you to do it for 15, 30 minutes piece of scripture, just one way we can practice openness, see what God wants to say to us. We're going to enter in time of communion now. Um, Again, communion is a time where we remember Christ's sacrifice, his body broken, his blood shed, so that we can have life and freedom and victory, salvation in him. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, Paul is kind of reflecting on uh, what's happening in this upper room with Jesus when when he goes to tell his disciples about what he's about to do with the bread and the wine. And Paul says this. He says, you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. And so I want to invite us into a posture of examining ourselves right now. Maybe you're praying Psalm 139 with David. Lord, search me and know me. Confess your sin and then receive forgiveness. So take time with the Lord to examine your heart with him. His response is love and grace, forgiveness. So take time and we'll come back up and take the elements together.